Hello and welcome to Life Changes You. Today I'm really excited to introduce you to Jasmine, who is from Helping Minds Online, and she is a registered provisional psychologist. So, hello, Jasmine, how are you? Hi, Daniel. I'm great, thank you. Thank you for having me today. That's great. It's my pleasure. It's always good to speak to different people with a different outlook on life, and the topic we're going to talk about today is a pretty important one, but we're going to start with you and a question. What was your childhood like? My childhood? Um, Well, it was quite an interesting childhood, I guess, because I'm originally from the country. And we, I grew up in a very small country town. There's probably maybe 2,000 people. And the, it was such a small country town that, like, we didn't even have a McDonald's, for example. Wow. Must have um, been small. Yeah. Like, that's, that's the measure of a, of a decent town, isn't it, really, yeah. if there's McDonald's or not. Um, but, no, we didn't um, even have, like, street lights or anything like that. It was a tiny town. I had to basically go to the the, the neighbouring town just to go to school because that's yep. how small like where I grew up was yep. so got, have one sister parents uh, divorced when I was in my teens and it was quite a traumatic divorce I guess yep. and then I I yeah, went to university studied marketing and I had a marketing career for quite some time yep. and yeah and then eventually I just sort of decided that I was interested in mental health, psychology, had uh, lost a few friends to uh, substance abuse problems. And I just sort of realized like the importance of mental health and how much you can lose like through uh, losing your friends and stuff to um, like, I guess when they have substance abuse problems or uh, let their mental health go, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, look, mental health is as is important as physical health, isn't it really? Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's funny that you mentioned that too, because like when you see somebody that might be say like physically disabled or anything like that, you you wouldn't ever expect them to, I don't know, if somebody had a broken leg, you wouldn't go, now go run that marathon. Yeah. Um, but if somebody has a mental health problem, we still expect so much of them. We still expect exactly. them to be a highly functioning, contributing member of society. But they have, they can have a disability that's just as much of an impairment as a physical disability. Yeah, definitely. I mean, look, mental health issues, anxiety and depression, um, just for a few, like bipolar, schizophrenia, untreated can be a major issue for that person and even when it is actually treated it's not all that you know you take the pill and you're going to be fine tomorrow Mm. you usually have six to eight months six to eight weeks of getting used to that medication and then seeing if that medication actually works and it might be that you do that six to eight weeks and then you've got to try a different pill because the first one didn't work for you at all yeah yeah, absolutely. And then you've got to deal with the side effects too, well, potential side yeah. effects of that. And and they always do say that uh, medication and psychotherapy together combined is usually the, the best outcome Yeah. because um, people are always like, which is better, medication or psychotherapy? But studies show a combination of the two is usually your best, best bet. And I was talking to someone the other day and we were discussing the same issue and we were saying that... Um, I think sometimes people go for the medication as a quick fix and it's cheaper. Mm. 
you know, like you can buy your prescription for five, ten dollars. Um, but with the psychotherapy, with the talk therapy as well, uh, you do get a, a hugely different outcome. Yeah. Otherwise, absolutely. you're just masking the, the problem. Yeah, absolutely. And it's so unfortunate. But the thing is, like, to get a, a packet of antidepressants, you might be out of pocket maybe 10 or $15 a month. But if you wanted to get, a, like, see a psychologist or a psychiatrist, that's minimum $150, $200 per session. Yeah. And, yeah, so it just it often is that way that medication is just the, the easier option and more accessible option. And, and like here in Australia, like Medicare does contribute to part of that therapy, but mm. you still have to find, say, 50 or $60 per session, which mm. for a lot of people is out of their range. You know, people work out their money down to the last cent and just go, oh, well, I need $50 a week to pay for a psychologist. Yeah. It's like, well, that's not going to happen because we haven't got the money. Yeah, and on top of that too, like, people that have experienced extreme trauma in their lives are unable to keep a job down. They're unable to work. And so they're in this situation where they're like, I have um, mental health problems and I need help, but I can't get the help because I can't afford it because I can't have a job because of my mental health problems. And what they found was like with COVID, because the government um, increased our like payments to – like what, like like the Centrelink payments, that it was actually increased to minimum wage yeah. because before that I think it was on poverty line and once it was increased to minimum wage level, people who were unable to get um, any kind of therapy, any kind of therapeutic support previously were now finally able to reach out and see therapists and see huge improvements in their life yeah. and that's been taken away now because the we're back to having people on the poverty line, whatever that that amount was. And there's also a lot of people who, you know, we say poverty line, but there are people that live below the poverty line who are still working, but they're still not earning enough to do anything each week. Yeah, absolutely. And I know as well, like in Australia, like that's definitely um, the case and we see it in Australia too, but in America especially, I think, Four, four in 10 people can't afford a $400 emergency expense if it was presented to them. Yeah. And it's just like, like that, yeah, like so many people are faced with living in that situation. And so reaching out and getting mental health support is just, it's just not um, conceivable for them, unfortunately. No. Yeah. And the waiting lists for free services, I mean, you almost have to be that you need to be put into hospital before they can actually see you because otherwise you're classed as not needing the service so much. Absolutely. And then if you're, once you have symptom improvement, which was the whole goal of therapy, you're probably going to be removed from that list and no longer going to be receiving that treatment because you're no longer at a crisis point. So... Okay, so you said that you wanted to do psychology because of some of your friends that had had substance abuse. So how do you find your studies? Well, when I was studying at university, I actually found it, it's, people don't realise this, but studying psychology is actually incredibly difficult. Um, I think there's a lot of, the universities as well have, 
they're acting a little bit unethically in the sense that they're pumping out psychology graduates with nowhere to go. So basically in order to become a registered clinical psychologist, you need to do uh, six years and get into your master's. However, once you've done the first four years, you, the chance of you actually getting into your master's degree, it's only the top 5% of students. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, It just blows my mind because when you think of like a lawyer, a teacher, a doctor, any other profession, once you start that degree, providing that you graduate, you get to become that profession at the end of the degree. But with psychology, it's so competitive because unfortunately only 5% are going to make it through. There are other avenues, of course, but yeah, so studying psychology was fascinating absolutely loved it. I love statistics for some reason. I just found that incredible, just being able to create meaning out of numbers and data that was really interesting. Um, But as for, yeah, it was a very intense, high pressure environment that I'm really, really thankful to be out of now. (laughs) Well, look, when I, look, when I started, I was tossing up whether to do counseling or psychology. Yeah. For me, I hate statistics. So I didn't want to do psychology. I did counselling instead. And when I finished, and in Australia, we don't get the Medicare rebate for counsellors, only psychologists do. So I had to work out what I wanted to do. And lucky I'd spent 20 years working in disability. So I combined the counselling and the disability. And now I work with people with an intellectual disability and all mental health issues, teaching them how to communicate better and lift their self-esteem so they can stand up for themselves. Oh, wow. So I was able to turn that around to suit what I could do and what my speciality was. But there are still lots of people who finished counselling who I know are still working in jobs they don't want to do because they can't get the rebate. So they have to charge, you know, like 40 bucks for a session, which isn't really covering the rooms they're renting. Yeah, absolutely. And then um, a lot of people seem to think that counsellors like wouldn't be able to help them as much as a psychologist can, but that is absolutely not the case at all. Like, yeah. We all studied very similar things. And if anything, like the counsellors that I've met just seem more relatable and more down to earth. And there's still so much like therapeutic benefit. I think studies indicate that they're pretty much on par. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And look, when I studied, I did the diploma in counselling first. And when I did the degree, I was sort of, I couldn't understand why we didn't learn the counselling therapies like um, gestalt therapy, narrative therapy, Mm. uh, person-centred therapy. We didn't do those in the counselling degree, but in the diploma we did. So people I was doing the degree with were like, well, how do you know all about that? And I go, because in the diploma we studied really completely different stuff to what we're doing here. So Mm. I've actually got a lot more information. And they're like, oh, maybe I need to do the diploma. Yeah, learning those therapies is probably the most important thing to know how to relate to people and all those techniques that you use under those umbrellas. Absolutely. Like of the four years of study that I did at at uni, I would have to say that the subjects that prepared me the best for actually working in the job, actually helping people, actually making a difference was any sort of role play counselling type of subjects where we got to actually 
pretend like we would pretend like that one was the patient um, and one was the therapist. And that's where you'd actually learn, okay, so this is how you. How it works. Yeah. 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 And the feedback then, because you're working with another psychology student, um, you know that they know what you're going to ask, but it still makes it difficult because you've also got that pressure of having someone scoring what you're doing, the, the other people in your group, and you're sitting there as a psychologist well, pretending to be one, doing the yeah. role play. And it's all those things because I don't think people understand how much we have to keep in our heads oh. when we're talking to someone because you could start talking and go, actually, I'm going to use solution-focused therapy here. Yeah. And as it progresses, you go, oh, no, Gestalt would be better for this person. <laughs> and then it changes again and you go, no, maybe they're able to do person-centred. You know, there's so many different – and now I think there's, since I studied, probably about another 10 types of therapy that we can use. And yeah. it's like, how do I even learn those other 10? Because I've already got about eight in my head. Then I've got to learn another 10. And then people go, oh, I think you might be a bit expensive. Well, <laughs> Come and learn what I've learned because I, I realized in the first probably two um, two of the subjects I did when I did my diploma, I actually had to get assistance from a tutor because I had no idea what they were talking about. It was like someone had come down from another planet and spoken to me in a completely different language and said, do you understand that? And I was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. But once the psychologist who was my tutor talked me through those first two books, then I was able to run with it because I understood the new communication skills that I had to pick up and learn. And all those new words that, you know, you come out thinking, oh, I'm going to use that word and that word. And you find that you can't use them because people look at you and go, what are you talking about? I don't understand what you're saying. That is so absolutely true. And the thing is to like, as a a brand, because I've only been like a registered provisional psychologist for about two months now. Yeah. So, but I've obviously been providing online support through helpingmindsonline.com.au throughout my whole degree, because I just figured I'm capable of providing help and support to people that need it at a really affordable price. It's accessible. It's online. Yeah. It's convenient. But now that I'm actually in um, the profession and face-to-face with people, it makes it a little bit different. Yeah. And I just noticed that I have so, like you were saying before, I just have so much in my head that I want to say and you have so much like pressure that you put on yourself and you just want to say the most perfect thing to your client at the perfect moment that's going to change their life forever. Yeah. And you just get too much in your head sometimes when really yeah. like it's all just about them and and just building rapport with them and just letting them tell their story and, and so that they feel heard and that someone really values their their problems and, and what they're going through. And it's funny because I had I did actually manage to execute the perfect sentence that I had formulated in my head and, and delivered it perfectly went straight over their head they didn't even notice it and so I was just like okay just relax and just be with them be in this moment and and um just don't think so much as well I know because it's like you sit down opposite someone and you remember in your head well I have to read their body language I have to read (laughs) where they're looking I have to uh mirror them if that's what they want uh and then I have to talk to them but I've also got to listen to everything they're saying intently um and oh actually I could say this and then they say something and you go 
you've got a breakthrough. And it wasn't even us that are doing it because we're so worried about what we're going to say. And they've had their breakthrough by just us listening to them. And we're actually, oh, that's really good. Yeah, that's amazing. And you're thinking, geez, I wasn't even listening at that moment when they had their breakthrough. (laughs) I don't know, but I think like there was a part of you that was listening and like they were aware that your presence was just there supporting them and that's what they needed. So, yeah. All right, well, we better get on to our subject, which is... uh, Social media and the impact it has on a person's self-esteem. Yes. And this is how I found you because I actually watched your YouTube video on this subject. Well, I think you're possibly the only person that watched it. (laughs) I have just started my YouTube channel and I currently don't have a whole lot of subscribers, but I know YouTube is a, it's a, um, a hard slog. So you just keep at it. And I know that, what I'm doing is bringing benefit to people. So that's why I'll just keep on doing it. I'm sure that people will find me eventually just like you did. So yeah, they um, will. And and look, whatever you put up there, it's there forever. So mm -hmm. even if they find you in 200 years, it's a positive. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. And hopefully by then we won't have social media. Yes. Yeah. Because you were actually talking on your uh, YouTube about some of the the things that aren't so positive for women and, and I guess men as well. Um, it was about how when we see one person on there who's got the perfect body, the perfect hair, the perfect everything, and, you know, what I find with that is a lot of the big influencers, uh, they might have the perfect body and the perfect hair, but they have time to do that. Mm. And also usually the setting they're in is somewhere they've rented for the day. It's not where they live. Mm. But Uh, to normal people like you and I and people who are listening could see that and then go, well, that's what I need to be at, to be liked, to be loved, to be valued. Yeah, that's 100% true because I guess what we're seeing on Instagram, particularly for just specifically to women, is this – a beauty ideal that we're all feeling the pressure to sort of aspire towards and work towards as well. And the reason that I say work is because there's like, there's quite a bit of pressure to, I guess like what's becoming quite popular in social media is quite a cosmetically enhanced look. Yeah. And the problem is, is that as more and more people do it and like those pictures and those posts are getting heaps of likes. So therefore we're seeing that it's actually really popular and we're seeing that that, that's really attractive. Then we're sort of like thinking, well, I need to look like that. I need to do those things in order to get those likes in order to be popular in order to be attractive too. Yeah. And I guess like the one thing that's quite worrying is we're all sort of starting to, to look the same, like, because if every girl is out getting lip fillers, if every girl is out getting their nose done, getting whatever it is done to look like this, this perfect um, mold, this perfect shape, you're losing the sense of what you actually look like and you're just sort of all morphing into this one visual construction that is what's popular on Instagram. And then the problem is, is like those sorts of images are getting likes and they're getting more like popularity and therefore it's just perpetuating that that aesthetic basically 
Yeah, look, um, there's a reality TV show from the UK, and I'm pretty sure it's called The Only Way is Essex. And there's a girl on there who I think she said she'd been on there from the beginning. And she went through getting her lips filled and, you know, looking amazing. Mm. But then last year during lockdown, she said she had time to think about things and she realised that she didn't want to look that perfect anymore. She wanted to look normal. So she had all her fillers taken out and she did a, a photo shoot with her with no makeup on and she absolutely looked stunning. Yeah. And I think sometimes you can look stunning, but you still feel like, well, this isn't what people like. And it might be that men say, oh, I like this type of women, woman. And then that woman hears that and goes, oh, well, maybe that's what men like because I'm not finding a partner. So I need to look like that. Where in actual fact, that's just the wrong person for you. You're going to find someone who likes you for who you are and yeah. not, you know, that guy, that might be his like and his taste. And that's okay with him as well. But don't change yourself to look what, like what someone else would like you to look like because you should be happy with your own looks, your natural looks. Yeah, and what we're finding is it's not just like what one person wants you to look like. It's what the general, like the consensus of what everyone wants you to look like and that's yeah. um, evidence through getting more and more likes. So, for example, like if you, I think half a billion people use Instagram every day. And if you look at the top 20 uh, Instagram accounts, you'll see like all the Kardashians and Jenners. I think all of them occupy a spot in the top 20. Wow. um, Bar Chris Jenner. Um, And you'll just see that like that particular aesthetic, like everyone is sort of merging towards looking more and more like them because like we're seeing them every day. We're seeing that that's attractive because, which is, we're getting, it's communicated to us that it's attractive because the posts are really popular. And so we're just like, oh, okay, people like this, therefore people like you to look like this. And then there's that pressure to sort of change the way that you look so that you look more, more like them and less like yourself. And the other thing is too, like with the way that it also lowers like it doesn't just lower your self-esteem it really does you just have a you lose your sense of individuality as well because and it's and it isn't just for women it's for men it's for everyone it's not just beauty it's your house like you'll see that like the popular aesthetic for your home is like that real really beige muted colors and they're the pictures that people are liking they're the pictures that are quite popular and therefore like you'll be shaping your individual taste to appeal to the masses because at the end of the day because we have Instagram we're putting our lives to the public for judging for better or for worse and when we're getting more likes that serves as positive reinforcement whereas if we decided one day I'd really like to I don't know paint my bedroom like bright pink and yellow and if you post that on Instagram you probably get all these nasty comments and and then it's just and it's but that's that's true to you like that's what you would have liked to do but you just like oh no I better go for the beige because that's what everyone's room looks like and it's it's just um yeah it's it's quite quite alarming actually what's happening well you mentioned the Kardashians before and other than um Kim, who I've seen a few times on TV, I wouldn't be able to tell you what any of the others look like. And if I bumped into them in the street, I wouldn't know who they were. Really? <clears throat> yeah. 
<laughs> You're lucky. <laughs> I, look, I decided probably five years ago during COVID, I did watch the news, but that I just didn't want to watch news anymore because everything mm. was so negative that I didn't need that impacting on my life. So now and again, I'll watch the headlines to see what the things are going on around the world. But generally, um, you know, you find out the information from the news from other people if it's important. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I know lots of people who follow the Kardashians, and that's all good. But, you know, I mean, maybe I'm in the older demographic that <laughs> doesn't see much in them. Well, it's it's great, though, that you're that you've – actively made a choice not to follow those types of accounts because I think that is one thing that people can do to improve their self-esteem. One of the biggest risk factors would probably be for young adolescent um, girls and even adolescent boys as well because females, we've got the pressure of um, the cosmetically enhanced look, which really is the norm at the moment. Like that, all of those, yeah, the cosmetic enhancements is really where most where a lot of women are going at the, for the moment yeah uh but as for men like maybe their pressure could be having a certain type of car having a certain type of outfit hairstyle body so we're all sort of feeling the pressure from social media yeah. and the problem is is that one of the key demographics of Instagram users is people between age 18, 24. Yeah. I think 24 to 35 is the biggest, but it's very closely followed by 18 to 24 year olds. And what they'll, they basically do at that age is there's so much emphasis in that particular age group on how you look on appearances on being attractive more so than in any other age group. Yeah. And at the same time, you've also got a, not an unstable sense of identity, but your sense of identity will improve with age. Yeah. If, and when you're in, as an adolescent, you're still a little bit um, trying to work out who you are. Yeah. And the way that you can reinforce your identity is through hanging around with friends that are quite similar to you. Yep. What ends up happening then is you get a mirror effect through them. So, for example, if like all of your friends were wearing pink shirts, yep. for example, and you did too, that sort of reinforces your identity there. Yep. And the problem is, is if one of you goes, okay, on Instagram, what's popular and what's really attractive is getting um, this done to my hair, this done to my face, this done to my body, then the other friends within that friendship group will follow suit as well. Yep. And it's just... Um, yeah, because you still have like, you're still not quite sure on your identity, what your choices are in life, and yeah. you're more easily influenced. And some of these people as well <clears throat> that you're talking about, you know, one of the people in the group might have the money to have that cosmetic surgery and the others don't, but then they want to look the same as what their friends look. They're, I actually read quite a few reports on young men with steroid abuse. Um, And it was because they felt like they needed to have the perfect body, you know, perfect chest, perfect arms. And then there was also the case studies that were talking about uh, the guys that had done the steroid abuse for three months, six months, 12 months. And because of their body type or their diet, it was actually really screwing up their whole system and themselves mentally as well. That was one of the other problems was they had a lot of mental issues because of taking the steroids like rage and anger and Mm issues such as that 
So I think nowadays we are, I mean, women, yeah, definitely are at a higher risk, but I think men are coming up as well because they're going through school puberty and then they don't develop quite as well as one of their friends. And that friend gets all the ladies that follow him or all the men that follow him. And, you know, and then they start thinking, well, that's what I need to look like. Cause that's what they all look like. That's what they will go after. Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing of how this is affecting men as well is because, if you have you ever um, met a woman who's had her lips done, Daniel? Uh, yes. Yes. Did you find it a bit like a little bit shocking at first, and like you're like, oh, sort of thing, or? Um, yeah. Look, because from my point of view, I prefer everyone to be natural. Mm. You know, it doesn't matter what cosmetic surgery you can have. Look, if it's if it's something you need to have done because it does make you fit into society better. And I don't mean like cosmetic surgery, like beauty surgery, but say like you've got something on your face, uh, a birthmark or something, and you want to get that taken off or you need your ears pinned back a bit, go for it. But I, I don't personally see the reason in doing anything to your body to change it. And I think some, some girls you see and their lips are enhanced slightly, don't look too bad. But then other people, you look at them and you go, oh, my God, what made you think that looks so good? And you don't ask, but you'd like to ask because you actually, I mean, I know the person's out there with those big lips, but are they actually happy with it or have they made a mistake, you know? Yeah. Well, that's, that's the reason why I ask. Absolutely. Like I definitely do not discriminate or think that there's anything wrong with cosmetic surgery to make you feel a little bit better about yourself. But what I'm talking about is like those extreme modifications when the girls have got their lips done to such a point that it's quite shocking. And the reason that, but the problem is, is it's being, um, it's more and more like you see it more and more on Instagram and then eventually you start to associate that with being attractive and it's no longer has that initial shock. It's more, it starts to become appealing, even though initially it wasn't. And then what can end up happening to men is they had this um, idea of what was beautiful and what was aesthetically pleasing and it starts to modify that and they start to lose touch with reality. And then it, it becomes difficult for them to actually um, in, like to have relationships later on. So there, there are so many uh, things that can happen from cosmetic surgery. I mean, I think it's, is it the Brazilian butt lift that mm. lots of women want to have done? And apparently it's, it's a 50-50 whether it's going to work for you or not and whether it could kill you. And yet yeah. they still, they want it because that's the look that apparently everybody likes. Yeah, absolutely. It is. It's such a dangerous procedure. A lot of plastic surgeons actually won't do it because when you when they inject it, it's actually there's a possibility that they'll inject the fat into an artery that goes into your heart wow. and it's instant lights out. Yeah. So despite the fact that there is a huge risk because of the aesthetic of the very large exaggerated behind that's that's not perpetuated on Instagram at the moment, yeah. people are willing to actually risk their life for it. And you were saying before as well, like the costs associated with it, like not everyone can afford it. No. The thing is though, you know, with COVID last year, we were allowed to take $10,000 out of our super, I believe. Yeah. So many women were actually taking the money out of their super to get cosmetic surgery. And I just couldn't imagine 
when you think of ten thousand dollars out of your super at this like this age or any age, I think it equates to about eighty thousand dollars when you actually retire. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. it just it really does emphasize like just the pressure that we all sort of feel through social media and just what we're presented with all the time on on the Instagram. I said to a friend the other day who was female, um, I said, oh, look at some of these accounts. You know, like my account on Instagram is around 110,000 followers, which is brilliant. But I said, look, some of these others, you know, they're like 1.5 million. They've all got either half-naked men or half-naked women in them. And I said, maybe I need to do some shots like this, you know, as a joke. And she said, oh, my God, don't do that because you'll get less followers. (laughs) Well, but that seems to be like it's and it's under the mental health umbrella. And it's like, hmm, I'm looking at you that not that I'm looking as I'm scrolling through, but a woman in a bikini and I'm thinking, well, yes, it's positive that you're happy with how you look. But when it's coming up under a mental health umbrella, I imagine there would be quite a few people with anorexia or bulimia. Um, there would be people who... Um, uh, body dysmorphic, dysmorphia, uh, where they don't like how their body looks as well. Um, there would be people with anxiety, depression, because they want their body to look like that. They've become depressed because they can't achieve the results this person's showing. So to me, I don't know if that's appropriate under mental health or it is. And I guess it's in the middle. You know, some people would like look at that and go, wow, that's great. That's what I aspire to be like. And other people with those other issues I said about would be looking at that going, oh, my God, how do I get to that? Well, it's really interesting that you say like that you see these images on Instagram and you're thinking of people with um, anorexia, bulimia, just a a host of mental disorders. And studies actually show that from the advent of the smartphone, adolescence instances of depression and anxiety increased together alongside the increase of social media. Yeah, so it just goes to show that like the usage of social media and how much that can affect your self-esteem, particularly like the sad thing is, is if you post a picture of your bum on Instagram, you're going to get 100,000 likes. But if you want to post a picture of you presenting a, a speech as a powerful woman or a powerful man, you, you're not even, you might get like a thousand likes. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. it's, it's just like, and you, we all sort of want to raise our profiles for different reasons. So you sort and of, and on the other figure. hand to that, if you're someone who puts a picture of your bum up on Instagram and you only got 10 likes, you're going to go, well, what's wrong with mine? Why don't people like mine? And it could be that the person that got a hundred thousand likes is a minor celebrity or a big celebrity. And so everyone went, I like that, even though they don't care if they like it or not. It's just, I need to follow that person. So there's also that sort of feeling of I've got to like everything that they do because I love that person. And you could be the person putting your bum up and you get 10 likes and you go, you're comparing differences, you know, and a lot of people don't actually look at what the differences are. They just go, oh, there's a bum picture. My bum will look like that. There's so many variables in between your bum and their bum. (laughs) (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Yeah, but it's not just that. Like it's it's exactly as you're saying, like you can't win because you could put a picture picture up and only get 10 likes and then feel bad about yourself. Or you could put a picture up and get heaps of likes and therefore – all of your self-esteem, all of your merit as a person is tied into the fact of how you look. And then one day there's going to be somebody that's maybe more attractive than you or 
whatever, or you just might not get as many likes and your world's going to come crashing down, which is why you just need to ensure that you're not looking to Instagram for external validation. You, you need to be finding that within yourself sort of thing. Yeah. yeah. Well, look, um, I think we'll wrap that bit up there, but I do have a couple of questions I wanted to ask you. Of course. Um, what's your plan for the future? My plan for the future is, so I'm doing my registered provisional psychology at the moment and I'm focusing on aged care, which I just absolutely love. I really love working with aged care. They're so brutal. Like I think that you'll find that when when you've only got a few more years to live, you don't bother with the pleasantries that you and I would. No, definitely not. Yeah, you're just very brutal. So sometimes I'll go in and they're just like, no, I don't want to see you today. And I'm just like, okay, that's fine. Can I come back next week? Yes, I'd love you too, but it's not today. And it's just like, (laughs) but most people would be like, yeah, of course you can, even though they may not be feeling it at the time. So definitely want to continue doing that. I really enjoy making my YouTube videos. I think that it's really important to just be able to make mental health accessible to everybody because not everyone can afford it. So just getting some mental health tips because when I was studying psychology, there was so much stuff that I was learning and I would just be like, this would benefit so many people if they had this knowledge too. Yeah. And so that's what I, that's why I started the helping minds online Instagram, just giving little snippets and just also applying it to people in a, a real life sort of a way. Like, cause sometimes the, the theory can be a little bit dry and it's really hard to understand how can I apply this to my life in a way that's going to actually improve my life. Yeah. So I like to break it down, make it applicable, make it achievable and allow them to sort of use those tips and tools to hopefully flourish. So YouTube, Instagram, social media, which can be a really positive thing if you want to send a positive message, that's for sure. Yeah. And then hopefully Helping Minds Online will become a practice in its own right. So they're my goals. But even if it doesn't, like I honestly am just getting so much reward from working at my workplace at the moment with the clients that I get to see every day. So yeah, I'm happy with that. Well, look, I mean, I've been doing the podcast now for 18 months and the feedback I get is good because... Uh, what people say is I'm learning about mental health issues in a variety of different ways and you break it down into a way that I understand and it's always fun. Um, Even when you're talking about really bad things, you still seem to be able to put it in a way to be positive and to help people understand that you don't have to use big long words to talk about mental health. Yeah, absolutely. And I think as well, like one thing I really love from your channel is that you're starting to remove some of the stigma around suicide as well. Because my group of people that I work with, which is uh, the elderly, are one of the highest risk for suicide. So particularly the males as well. And some of the reasons is just simply because when they do try and attempt suicide, because their bodies are quite frail, yeah. they're, they're successful. So yeah. whereas like when, if it had happened to a younger ma- male or female, they may have survived it. Yeah. So yeah. And then also like, because we don't have, um, like they can be in such chronic pain as well. Yeah. So for me talking about suicide at work is a daily occurrence. I have yeah. to 
um, talk to them about it and, and ask the question every day, but there's still so much of a stigma associated with it. Yeah. And I notice as well, just on my, on my Instagram account that whenever I post about say anxiety, or if I post about trauma, I'll get a lot of likes. But as soon as I post about suicide or depression, just people don't really want to engage with that. And yeah. all it's doing is just perpetuating the stigma surrounding suicide and depression. Well, look, a couple of weeks ago on Instagram, I did 10 different um, updates and they ranged from you are loved, you are inspirational, you are courageous, and all those ones got heaps of likes. The two that didn't were you are worthy and now I can't remember the second one. But for just like you are worthy, got like 10 likes. All the others got hundreds of likes. And it was almost like people were reading it and going, am I really worthy? Am I a worthy person? But they liked you are loved. It was like, oh, I feel loved. But they Mm -hmm. couldn't, they just didn't resonate towards you are worthy. I can't remember Mm -hmm. the other one. But it was just amazing because I thought, I just want to see what people really think of themselves. And it, it came out the same way as I thought it would. I knew you are worthy wouldn't be one that lots of people would like because I just think people go am I really worthy am I really you know that important you know and and who knows what their like their automatic negative thoughts are like we we don't unless we start to really tune in and address it like some people might read you are worthy instant automatic negative thought no I'm not flip to the next next one yeah and it's just like yeah you've just I guess trying to change people's perspectives of themselves and I guess yeah it it can be really difficult and it's it's really strange like the things that resonate with people and things that don't and I just I think it's really sad that any posts on depression for example just don't seem to get that great of a response and if you even look for the hashtag depression on Instagram they won't even show you the post and it's just like why why not like why why can't we see hashtag depression but we can see hashtag everything else we can see hashtag giant bum but we can't see that and it's just like it's just saying like this is a taboo topic we can't go there like but it's not it's absolutely not no and I wonder if it's because you know with depression for one the person doesn't want to like it because they've got depression mm-hmm. and then to the another person doesn't want to like it because they don't want to be seen to be liking something about depression when they have no idea what it is. So it's sort of counterproductive, isn't it? Because the person with depression doesn't want to like it because they don't like depression quite rightly. But then someone else doesn't want to go, oh, yeah, I like that depression one because then it's like, well, you like people with depression. Mm. So, I mean, I did a podcast uh, probably a couple of months ago and the person I spoke to um, had been through child abuse and Mm. I was trying to find a hashtag so that I could um, let people know that this was a story about child abuse and survival and how he had coped and what he did to get through that. I couldn't find anything related to child abuse, sexual abuse of a minor, all those different hashtags, which is probably a good thing because you don't want pedophiles and that just mm. those hashtags. But there needs to be something there that when people are discussing that in an open forum, which can give hope and uh, positive feedback to people that, look, you can get through this because suicide in um, child abuse is very, very high. I think it's one in three or four that have been through child abuse 
come out the other end and either become drug addicts or alcoholics and yeah. end up suiciding because of what's happened to them. So mm-hmm. to highlight that issue and let someone hear a positive story about recovery from that, but then you can't tag it anywhere so that people know that it's about. Yeah, absolutely. That's such a good point. And the thing is too, like when you have, like whenever I post about sexual abuse or anything like that, it just doesn't, it just doesn't get any likes as well. And it's, and it's true though, because you don't want to have like pedophiles being able to have access to that, Yeah. but you also want to be able to let these people know like victims of trauma that they're not alone. It's actually unfortunately far too common and I think it, the stats are actually that you're 15 times more likely to um, commit suicide. Don't yeah. quote me on that if, if you've um, experienced uh, childhood traumas. So, yeah, it's like Instagram is such a powerful vessel to like the way it shapes and curves our opinions of what's attractive, what's not attractive. Um, and, and the important educate. stuff seems to really go further down because, as you say, someone's bum or breasts is more important to the majority of the world than listening to someone who survived and is inspirational. It's more important to look at someone's breasts. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) All right. Yeah, look, well, um, I think we've covered nearly everything, don't you? I think so, yeah. So thanks for having me, Daniel. Honestly, it was such an honour. I love your Instagram and just what you're doing as well. And truly, like, I, I feel really blessed that I got to be on your show today. Oh, look, when I found you and, but yeah, I'd seen your updates and I liked some of the stuff you were doing. And then I watched your YouTube video and I went, ah, oh, that's someone I want to talk to because this is something I want to discuss. Yeah. So having someone who'd done something about that was really important to me because I think listeners will like to listen to that. If we can get up the algorithm of Instagram. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Maybe if we put hashtag big bum, we might get there. (laughs) Oh, yeah, we will. We'll probably get thousands. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you so much. Look, I'm sure we'll talk again down the track. Yeah, sounds great. Thanks, Daniel. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, that was another episode of Life Changes You. If you want to contact us, we're available on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. And we also have a website, lifechangesyou.com.au. So until next time, take care of each other and thanks for listening.